so excited because uh, this is our last season, our last week in our value series, all about who we are as a church. Today's all about scriptural discernment. And um, I've been really privileged to meet many amazing people coming to New Life Brisbane. And the guy who I've asked to come speak today is the acting principal at Trinity College. But he's also um, someone who every week we catch up and we debrief my sermons together. So he gives me feedback. He, he tells me, hey, this is where you could go better. This is probably, um, you know, something I wouldn't do again. And then, you know, really encouraging at the same time. He's like, dude, you nailed this today really well. And he's someone who I know and many people have benefited from, their ability, his ability to preach and teach. And so I'd love, if you could welcome and honour uh, Paul Jones as he comes and shares with us today on Scriptural Discernment. Thanks, Chief. Very kind words. How are we this evening? I'm surprised that this clicker hasn't been stolen. Look at it. It's beautiful. It's like solid gold. It looks like solid gold. <laughs> I'm just going to apologise from the outset. Um, my wife did say, be careful with your on-the-spot gags. But uh, for anyone who's copying a lot of shine, apologies. Yes, let's just think of it as Jesus. Um, so I, it's my privilege to talk to you about the Bible tonight um, and scriptural discernment. You might be thinking, scriptural discernment, that sounds a bit complicated. Why not just the Bible? Uh, what, don't we just read the Bible and do what it says? Um, and yeah, I guess in one sense we do. But as soon as you read the words on the page, you're already starting to interpret and to discern what God is speaking and what God is saying to you through those words that you're reading. So it's a little bit trickier than that. And I guess I've had a bit of a long and complicated relationship with the Bible. I grew up as a missionary kid in Nigeria because my dad was a Bible translator. Uh, and now that becomes complicated because my dad thinks that his take on everything is spot on, right? <laughs> He's written it down in three, four languages, so it's got to be right. So I grew up uh, memorizing chunks of scripture at a missionary kid's school, whole chapters, uh, psalms at the age of five through to about eight or nine, and I had to recite these, and as many, if I could recite more, I could get a t-shirt, and uh, if I didn't recite many, I got the paddle, and no, that's a joke. I, we, did, we, we did have the paddle, but not for not memorizing enough scripture. Um, so I grew up just in a Bible sort of bathed uh, household, and then went to a school where there was a lot of scripture, and I have three brothers, and we were all just talking about the Bible all the time. That <laughs> sounds amazing, doesn't it? Um, but as I grew up, I, I started to think, oh, I think I get how God speaks through scripture now. I'd read a verse, and I'd think, yeah, I see. So I just read that one verse, and I meditate on it over and over, and then God speaks to me. I've got this down. And, of course, the next time that God would speak to me would be very different. But over the years, God has spoken to me just countless times through the scriptures in different ways. And the thing that amazes me is that the God who created each of us, the God who created you and me and everything around us, continues to speak to us. It's God's living word that we have here before us. God just continues to speak. He spoke through it, through the prophets, and things were written down and became words that formed the communities that worship God, but then those communities pass those words on, and we end up with this sacred collection of texts that continues to speak. And it's incredible the way that that happens. But what I want to do tonight is just talk about some of the simple questions that we might come to the Bible with. 
Um, and they're fairly straightforward questions, I guess. Or at least, I think so. I've spelt that correctly. <laughs> Just want to point that out. But two, <laughs> two, two questions that I think are important. What kind of book is the Bible? Um, it's different in some ways to everything else that we read, but how is that so? And what is the Bible for? I know, they sound like simple questions. Uh, the answers might not be as simple as we expect. But one of the ways that we can look for answers to these sort of questions is just to say, let's look in the Bible for verses that talk about the Bible. I just saw a huge flame shooting outside. Is that a... That's okay. All right, that's normal. That's completely normal. It wasn't anything I said. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, some verses that you probably know. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God, that's us, may be proficient and equipped for every good work. Now, that's Paul writing to Timothy. When he says Scripture, he's talking about the Old Testament, but of course we read it now with the Old and the New, and we, we read it all as being good for these things, for training in righteousness and so on. And that's one way that we could go about this. For me, though, the image that comes to my mind when I think what, is, uh, what, what kind of book is the Bible actually comes from a, a 1984 film, The NeverEnding Story. Who's seen that? I can't see your hands, but I'm just going to, because there's lights in my eyes, but I'm just going to ask. Yeah, so all the oldies up the front have seen it. Sorry, Bruce, that was harsh. Anyone else seen The NeverEnding Story? Great. Our kids watched it just this weekend because I was thinking about this stuff. Here's a, here's a promo poster for it. You can, you can tell it's a few years old. Um, extremely dated. I mean, there is no CGI. It's just big puppets lurching forward in awkward scenes. Anyway, the reason I bring this up is because there's this great scene in it where Bastion... Bastion's the main kid in it, the main protagonist who reads the never-ending story. He's running away from bullies, and he seeks refuge in a bookstore, runs into this bookstore, and he encounters a grumpy bookstore owner who's sitting there reading this big tome. And Bastion says, what's that book about? And the bookstore owner says, look, kid, he doesn't have much time for him. He says, look, kid, your books are safe, your comic books or whatever. You get to go, by reading them, you get to become Tarzan, or Robertson Crusoe, or whoever. But afterwards, you get to be a little boy again. Uh, the books you read are safe. Now, Bastion, of course, his interest is piqued. And when the bookstore owner gets a phone call and he leaves the room, Bastion just grabs the book and runs off, uh, which is great. I was trying to tell my kids, that's not what you should do, but this is a cool movie anyway. <laughs> so the Bible is a dangerous book like the never-ending story. Why would I describe the Bible as a dangerous book? Well, what I mean by that is the same thing that this film gets at, which is that the Bible is a book in which you are invited to participate. It's a book that you enter into. The thing that Bastian, as he reads this book, he discovers all these parallels between his life and the life of the kid in the book, and he's thinking, what's going on? And then it, it actually gets to the point where he has to call things out and they hear him and things like this. And he's reading it and he's thinking, this is impossible. And it's these two worlds coming together. And my five-year-old did struggle a little bit with that. 
But the film illustrates this, this principle beautifully. Towards the end, as Bastian's reading, and he's becoming increasingly aware of the way that his own life is sort of merging and intertwining with the never-ending story, he realizes that he has to play a critical role in the outcome of this story he's reading. And he even flicks forward at one point to see how the whole thing's going to end and finds only blank pages. And I think that's a powerful scene because it indicates that his decisions in the present moment are actually shaping a future that has not yet been written. And that is the case for us too. Your decisions today shape your habits tomorrow, which shape the course of your life. And the Bible wants to speak into that. The Bible will speak into that if you're open to that. So what makes the Bible so dangerous? Well, it's a dangerous book because often when you read it, <clears throat> you will find yourself at a crossroads. You open the pages of the book, you read something, and if you hear the Spirit speaking to you and prompting you in some way or another, you may well find yourself with a choice. A choice to resist or to repent. And because the Bible presents that to you, the Bible is a dangerous book. Now, don't hear me wrong, because I, I want to be careful here. I don't want you to think that every single time you open the Bible, God will say, hey, stop that. You know, point out some behavior in your life that really isn't on, and, and you have to make this decision. Because, no, let's face it, none of us are going to go home and read the Bible anymore, are we? Just be like, leave that one on the shelf. But what I mean by repent is a Godward direction in your life, that you are facing Godward. And we often think repentance means, oh, I'm doing something wrong and I need to get it right. But it can be things like this. You could read in Psalm 139, you are beautifully and wondrously made in the image of God, knit together so beautifully, perfectly. You are a beautiful person in God's eyes. Now, in our social media age, uh, with Instagram accounts galore uh, that probably half of you follow, uh, that present everyone's lives as perfect, or Facebook, or wh whatever it is, we are just constantly bombarded with, you are not beautiful enough. You are not smart enough. You don't have it together enough, or not as much as the next person. And sometimes repentance means reading a verse in Psalm 139 that says you are beautifully and wondrously made in the image of your creator, and you can sit with that, and you can turn away from the voice of the world that's telling you otherwise. So don't always think that repentance means, ah, there's got to be sin in my life. I've got to find it and stamp it out, and God's going to help me do that. So just to make that clear. But your decision at this point, it will shape you. It does shape you, like it or not. This is one of the things that has really hit home to me over the years as I've read the Bible, that every little choice makes a difference. And when you listen for the living word of God, if you listen for the living word of God and you choose to turn left, according to this picture, and you choose to repent, see what happens is that the next time you come back to your Bible and you open it up, you are different. That means you're ready to go deeper. That means you're in a different place, and when you read the Bible, God has something new for you. It's exciting, right? 
If you come back to the Bible, but you resisted whatever God said to you last time, you may find yourself saying something like, eh, Bible's a bit boring. Wow, I hate to break it to you, but it's you. The problem is you. You've become boring and static. Do I get away with that one? I went, I went. (laughs) So what we find in looking at the Bible a little bit here is that we've kind of answered both of our questions up front. What kind of the book is the Bible? Well, it's a dangerous book. And what is the Bible for? This is the important thing. It is for human transformation. This is God saying, I want to make myself known to you. Read this. Read how I have encountered my people and responded to their needs over hundreds, thousands of years. And you will learn something about me in a way that has massive implications for who you are. It's for our transformation. So let me give you an example. Or let me go one better and give you two examples, both from the Bible. Kaboom. And there are two, of, two groups of people that I'm pointing at as I said that. Okay, that, that, that wasn't great. Okay. <laughs> Those three words moving right along. They're really helpful. Okay. Repent or resist. In the Old Testament, we have, we're presented with these stories of two kings. King Josiah and King Jehoiakim. They happen to be father and son. And I just want to run through these stories quickly to give you a sense of how these guys responded to Scripture. So just to be clear, we're talking about people in the Bible who read the Bible and responded to the Bible so that when we next pick up the Bible and read it, we will have a new lesson on how to read the Bible. Is that, that's all clear as mud, isn't it? So clear. So Josiah... This guy is born around 648 BC, quite some time ago. He became king at the very young age of eight because, you know, when with the whole primogenitor thing, when your dad dies and he was the king, then you become king. So he became king very young, and Josiah had a great heart. He really wanted to follow after God. But he didn't have the law, he didn't have what we would call the Bible. Uh, He had no guidance. The law, the commandments that God had given to Moses hundreds of years before had been lost. And so Josiah, although he was a good king, it wasn't easy for him to work out what to do and so on. Now, when this king was in his 20s, still pretty young, his secretary came to him and told him that the high priest Hilkiah had found the book of the law in the temple. Now, this is the equivalent in today's language to someone finding a dusty copy of the Bible back there behind this mysterious curtain, which I've always, I've always wanted to go behind that, and, uh, and someone saying, yeah, I might do it tonight. I think I've... Right now? No, not right now. It's like someone finding the Bible back there and saying, the Bible, and finding it in a church of all places. Now, the point is, as Shafan, the secretary, reads this book to Josiah... Josiah's response is remarkable. He is absolutely horrified. He's disgusted. He's appalled. Let me read this with you. Shaphan the secretary informed the king, the priest Hilkiah has given me a book. Shaphan then read it aloud to the king. Now, most scholars think that this is an early form of Deuteronomy. So reading a lot of those laws uh, in Deuteronomy. When the king, Josiah, heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes He was absolutely mortified. 
because he realized that he was the king of this people who hadn't been following all these laws that God had given them. For hundreds of years, they hadn't been. Now, what he does is he gets a group of guys together and gets on horseback and just goes around the whole nation, Israel and Judah, tearing down false places of worship. Um, he really reformed Israel and Judah uh, in what became known as Josiah's reforms. <laughs> Very clever name. But the point of all of this is that Josiah encountered the words of Scripture and he responded with repentance. He leaned into God, he turned towards God, and he changed his behavior dramatically. Now, on the other hand, if we have a look at King Jehoiakim, uh, he had a very similar encounter. So after his dad died, a bit of an untimely death, to be honest, uh, this was a king with a bad heart. Uh, he built a huge palace on the backs of slaves and just enjoyed that, but wasn't really concerned about the people, the law, or God. And Jeremiah, who was alive at this time, was preaching his typical prophecies of judgment and doom and saying, Jehoiakim, if you don't sort this out, trouble is coming. Now, Jehoiakim was confronted with these prophecies, so parts of what we would call the book of Jeremiah, and they were read out loud to him. Have a look at how he responded. Then the king sent Jehudi, great name, if anyone's pregnant, Jehudi to get, oh, have you guys considered Jehudi? Yes, you have. <laughs> then, then the king sent Jehudi, I just wanted to say it three times, to get the scroll, and he took it from the chamber of Elishama, it's another option, the secretary. Jehudi read it to the king and all the officials who stood beside the king. Now, the king was sitting in his winter apartment, very nice, it was the ninth month, and there was a fire burning in the brazier before him. As Jehudi read three or four columns, the king Jehoiakim would cut them off with a penknife and throw them into the fire in the brazier until the entire scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the brazier. I'm just trying not to say brazier. Brazier. Yet neither the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words was alarmed. And notice this, the author wants us to see the comparison with his father, nor did they tear their garments. Now, when you are mourning, when you are upset in the ancient world, that was something you do. You could throw ashes on your head, we don't do that anymore, or tear your clothes. None of them tore their clothes, but the same Hebrew word is used, if you're interested in this kind of stuff, for him tearing the scroll and the tearing of the clothes. And I think that does point out that we are to compare these two. These are classic instances of resistance and repentance, the two ways that you can respond when you are reading God's word. So we get this comparison and we see the outcomes in the lives of these kings. But I don't want you to think that scriptural discernment is simply about understand, understanding what a text means and then saying, okay, I'm going to do something about it. Because you could do that with any book, couldn't you? Couldn't you go down to a bookstore here somewhere in Brisbane, find a self-help book on leadership or relationships or whatever it is, family life, read that, and then say, I'm going to do something about this, and I'm going to respond to these words and make your life different. So what's the difference? What's going on in Scripture that is not going on with those self-help books? Because I've read a few of those, and they're quite helpful. 
I think that's why they called self-help. So what makes the Bible any different? There's a huge difference, an enormous difference actually. Because when we come to reading the Bible, we are not responding to the words in the Bible. This is the best way I could think to put this. <laughs> not that. <laughs> Seen that one. We read the words of Scripture in order to discern what the word, that is Jesus, is saying to us. What I mean by that is that it's a personal response to Jesus when you respond to the words of Scripture. God has given us this book, as I said, a book of self-revelation. This is who I am, and this is how you can respond to who I am. But when we respond, we're not just thinking, eh, it's an ancient text, it must have some wisdom in it, I'll do what it says. We are responding personally to the Lord of Scripture, to the word capital W. There are a couple of verses in John uh, that have challenged me again and again over the years. Um, I said earlier that I grew up in a missionary kid sort of home and family. Um, I studied jazz for a little bit after high school, and then I discovered theology. I never thought I'd enjoy anything as much as playing the piano, but I then discovered theology and made the switch. So look out, Aaron. It's, it's possible. Um, but when I started studying the Bible and, and went and lived in a Bible college for a while, um, I remember just being really excited and fascinated by this book. And I then went and did a master's at Regent College in Vancouver. And when I was over there, again, I got really excited about the Bible. And I just, I just loved learning stuff. It was just all this theological information and, and stuff was stimulating to me. But I lost the plot a little bit. What I mean is... I went over there thinking I'm going to become a theological educator. I'm going to fill my mind with all the answers and people will come with questions and I'll have the answers for them. Very arrogant, very silly attitude to have really. But about a year into that time studying my master's, I had a job interview to be a worship pastor of a church in Melbourne. And it was a Skype sort of interview and I prepared for it as you would, right? I thought, what's my theology of worship and what are all these biblical texts that I can throw into the conversation? It's embarrassing. But anyway, I did that. And the first question they asked me, Paul, how have you changed since studying over there doing your master's degree in theology? And I had nothing, nothing. I had nothing for him. Do you know, this is how long the awkward silence was. <laughs> Seriously, it was that long. And then I just said, I'm sorry. It's very, it's interesting back there. I recommend that you take a look later. But I... That's how long the awkward silence was until they said, well, anyway, and they moved on with another question. And I had nothing. Now, for the rest of the interview, I just, obviously, I was just thinking about that. I thought, what is this? I, I have come all the way overseas here, paying good money to do a master's in theology, and I have lost the plot. And this verse just hit me. Well, it, it, it's hit me in the heart and the mind uh, many times over the years. This is Jesus speaking to the religious authorities of his time. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that testify on my behalf. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. 
Wow. I'm still challenged by that because I still work in theological education and I still love it and I love seeing scripture come alive to people, but I still have to remind myself that just because I'm in a classroom teaching this stuff, it doesn't mean that I'm having a personal encounter with Jesus. Now, I was very blessed when I did my PhD in the UK, and both of my supervisors were really godly men who said to me, Paul, just keep reading this in a devotional sense while you're studying. Don't just get lost in all this historical sort of analysis. And I really valued their advice. But what Jesus is getting at here is that the Bible isn't just an interesting book. It's not some secret way for you to get a foot in the door for eternal life either. This is God's self-revelation. This is the, the, the Bible is God making himself known to us. And as Jesus makes very clear, the scriptures are supposed to point us to a relationship with the living word of God. So... Let's take a look at one last story. I didn't really look at my watch when I got up here, so I don't even know how long I've been talking. I'm doing great. That's what I'm hearing from the front row. Let's just take a look at one more text uh, that, that really gives us a, a nice example of how this is supposed to work when we go to Scripture, when we want to read the words of God and encounter the living word of God. In Acts uh, 26, Acts 8, 26 to 40 is the full story. Luke tells this story of, a, of an Ethiopian financier, or an accountant, we might say, who is reading from the book of Isaiah as he's heading home. He's in his chariot, so he's not reading at the wheel. He's reading Isaiah as he heads home from Jerusalem. And as the Ethiopian's making his journey, he's confused because he's reading this text He's probably a convert to Judaism, I'm guessing, because it says he was worshipping in Jerusalem. Um, but he's, he doesn't know who he's reading about as he reads this text from Isaiah. And Philip is prompted by the Holy Spirit, go and talk to this guy. And so, oh, here it is. So let's start, let's pick it up here. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it. It's quite uh, entertaining when you, when you picture it. And he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. And he asked, do you understand what you were reading? I don't, I don't need to enact it, do I? Do you understand what you were reading? Do you understand what you were reading? He replied, how can I? From the comfort of my chariot. Unless someone guides me. Well, let me in and I'll tell you a few things. Oh, wait, that's not what it says. And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now, the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this, and here is what they were reading together now. Like a sheep that was led to the slaughter, this is Isaiah 53, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. I can imagine just reading those verses and thinking, who's this about? What's this about? What's going on here? And that's what the Ethiopian financier is thinking. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And that has been a question that scholars have asked for the last couple thousand years. Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. Yeah. 
So he begins with this Old Testament text, and he shows how it points to Jesus. And ultimately, the Ethiopian, I mean, the first problem that the Ethiopian has is simply that he doesn't understand, right? What's this scripture about? But once he does understand, and Philip has explained that, he's only halfway there. And that's important for us to grasp. Because the issue isn't just understanding, as my little anecdote from my experience at Regent College hopefully demonstrates. Once the Ethiopian understands something of who Jesus is and who he is in light of what Jesus has done for him, he then needs to act on it. He gets baptized then and there. He sees everything in a new light. Did you notice that? I think it's fantastic. Well, actually, you didn't notice that because we haven't read those verses yet. Let's just have a look a little further. As they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. I love this. It's, I mean, how many times has this guy in his chariot ridden past lakes and rivers and bodies of water? Probably hundreds. But he has never, he has never seen a body of water as an opportunity to be baptized before. His everything he sees has changed because of his encounter with Jesus through the scriptures. And now he sees this body of water and he says, Water, what's to stop me from being baptized? And we say to ourselves, what's going on here? What's the connection? You know, you've gone from reading about the suffering servant in Isaiah 53 and you want to be baptized, but actually it's not that big a jump from the one who suffered on our behalf for our sins to baptism, which is saying, I want to die and be resurrected with Christ and live a new life. And I want to serve the suffering servant. And so it makes sense. And I would have loved to hear the conversation that Philip had with him. But the important thing here is that he has seen something brand new because his whole vision has been changed. God's word has illuminated the way forward. And he is able to make a genuinely brand new decision. A brand new decision that wasn't even possible before. And that's what comes from reading the scriptures. I've, I've, over time, I've, uh, I guess I've heard lots of sermons, and you might be thinking, it's funny to hear a sermon about the Bible, because aren't all sermons about the Bible? And yes, they are. Uh, there are different reasons that we gather. We gather to encourage each other as a community. We, we gather to worship. We gather to send each other out missionally. But we also gather to hear from God's word. And we are blessed to have Mike as the lead pastor here because the words he preaches are true to scripture and so applicable to life. I'm sure you'd agree with that. He, he bigged me up when I got up here, so I'm just giving a little bit back. But really, I've been in a lot of churches and um, what Mike offers us on a week-to-week basis is really a gift to be opening up the scriptures the way that he does. But there will always come those times when the Spirit is speaking to you, you hear something in the Scriptures that you feel is for you, and you've got to make that decision. Am I going to be open to this, or am I going to be a little bit resistant? And there have been a lot of times in my life where I've thought, this is a fantastic sermon for someone else. 
or this is a fantastic sermon for me. I hope that it gets preached again in a couple of weeks when I'm ready to respond to it. Because there are times when we just think, not yet, not now, but that's great truth. Thank you, Lord, for showing me that. I'm just not ready to do anything about it right now. What you need to remember is a not now and a not yet is a no. It's a turning away. That's a hard word, but it's the truth of it. And the thing is, every time we harden ourselves or resist God's word, we become a little bit crustier. We become a little bit more resistant, and it's harder for God to break through. Now, that doesn't mean that God will ever give up. God is relentless in his love for you and will continue to speak to you. But just know that if you can keep an open, repentant heart towards God, God will keep speaking and you will keep growing. And that's a wonderful thing. So let me sum up because we need to finish up. We've seen tonight that the Bible is a dangerous book. Tonight, the Sav? Because it, it, it demands something from you. And I I do want to remind you that you are not responding to the words in the book. We're responding to the word, the living word who speaks to us, the living word of God. It's a personal response that results in transformation. And this, my friends, is how you become your best self. And by that I mean this is how you become who God created you to be, by listening week after week, day after day to what God is saying to you through the scriptures. You will, uh, you will benefit from reading the Bible. I, Mike's going to mention a 66-day challenge to us towards the end of the service. Something to do, I, I guess, with the fact that there are 66 uh, books in the Bible. But if you take up that challenge, as a bonus, if you journal, let me just throw this in as a free tip, the, 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 the most dramatic growth in my life has always come from reading the Bible and journaling writing down what I feel God is saying to me. It doesn't matter if you go back and read it over again. It's just articulating it, slowing your mind down to the pace of writing and writing down the things that you feel God is saying to you. It, I would guarantee, in fact, with this 66-day journal, uh, challenge, if you, if you take it up and you buy a journal and you write in it for 66 days and you don't grow at all, I'll pay for that journal for you. So come and see me and say... I wrote in this, mind you, I have to read your 66, your 66 days of journaling because I will need to check that you haven't grown. And I, re- I reckon I'll get to day two and be like, that's growth right there. But I guarantee it. So do some journaling, do some reading, and you'll become more like Jesus. And that's what we're about here at New Life. More people, more like Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for your word. There are times that we find it confusing. There are times that we find uh, what's in your word hard to stomach. Uh, There are texts that we don't quite understand how these ancient words can be meaningful in 21st century Australia. And yet we know that you have made yourself known through your scriptures. And so I pray that you would give each of us here a desire, a deep desire and hunger for your word to understand it better. I pray that as we read it, that we would find we are coming to a better, clearer understanding of who we are, of who you are, of who this church is, and of what you are doing in the world so that we can get on board with that. 
I praise you for each person and the work that you've done in their lives up to this point, the things that you're doing in our lives that we are not even aware of at the moment. Open our eyes through reading your word to what you are up to, the ways that you would love to shape us. And we commit ourselves to you now in Jesus' name.